Now, I get to introduce this young man right here. This is Pastor Claren Martin, Regional Minister for the Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada, which is part of the larger family that Huron Chapel belongs to. And uh, uh, Claren has quite a, an illustrious career as a pastor. His last pastorate was Hanover. And then I pulled him out of that, or at least I hope that God did. But I invited him to join our national team as a regional minister, one of four regional ministers, and it's been such a joy to journey with him. And God bless you as you speak to us today. And we'll pray together for you now, brother. That's good. I need help. Father, thanks again for Claren, for the beautiful thing that you do in our lives when we surrender our lives to you. And we pray, O oh Lord, that as he speaks, we will not only hear his voice, mm -hmm but that we will hear your voice speaking to us. And so we say, as Samuel of old, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil, for building into my life, and uh, thank you for being such a good, inspiring role model. Appreciate that. Thank you, Suzanne, too, for you and your choir investing in these lives. Thank you, Phil, for taking time to speak to the children, and to bless them and to pray for them. Yay, God. Well, happy anniversary. Of, I think this is the third time someone said that. And uh, if we would take the time today to tell stories, I'm sure that there would be significant amount of stories told about the things that God has done in those uh, 41 years or so. Lives touched, changed, transformed by the power of the gospel, healed, delivered, uh, people built up, strengthened, uh, resourced each other to be about the kingdom of God locally and broader than that and your international community that uh, I know you have a tremendous missions heart and uh, the, your, the love of Christ through this congregation has touched so many people. So thank you so much for, for honoring uh, Jesus and giving him your greatest attention. Great to see a full house today. Thank you for those who are guests here and visitors. Uh, this may not this message is kind of for those that are here, so maybe this won't make a lot of sense to, to some of you who are guests today, but I trust that God will be speaking and blessing your heart as well. You know, as uh, Phil, I some <laughs> Pastor Phil, uh, actually, you got quite a blessed pastoral team here, don't you? You got Pastor Rob and Pastor Ernest and your interim pastor, Pastor Phil. And the most important pastor of all, Chevy. <laughs> right? And uh, if you're a guest here, that's Phil's dog, right? That he brings to church with him. So just so you get a little bit inside that story there. So you are blessed with a great team and, and so many workers here that are laboring together. And Phil was talking about one of the, uh, I guess it was uh, Gary was saying this about the importance part of transitional change is actually revisioning and dreaming of the vision. And certainly, uh, it's pretty clear in, in Scripture what the purpose and mission really of the church is. And so we just have to kind of find some words and ways that we can get around it. But we're to love God and love others uh, as God has loved us. And then we are to be about this great commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go therefore, make disciples all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, behold, I'll be with you 
always, even to the end of the age. And so that's that missionary call and challenge that has been given. And uh, this is just before Jesus, this is after He was crucified, raised from the dead, but before He ascended into heaven. And He was actually telling His disciples there as well that they are not to be about that missionary purpose without the power and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And He says in Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, which is kind of the surrounding area around the city of Jerusalem, Samaria, which was... Uh, another part of that region extended out from Judea, and then the other parts of the world. And so that's that Acts 1-8 profile that every local congregation ought to be a part of, and they're spreading out. But you can't do this without the work and the role of the Holy Spirit. And it's really actually kind of exciting to see what has been happening in the world in the proclamation and the spread of the Gospel in the last 30 or so years. A number of years back, about 30 or so plus years ago, there was a significant prayer movement that began to be interceding and praying. As much as the church has done that for the loss and the spreading of the gospel, but 30 or so years ago, there was a particular prayer began for the praying for the Muslim people of this world. Some of the hardest people to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. And um, both then there was only about seven disciple-making movements that they could track in the world, and uh, Southern Baptists now are tracking some 700 disciple-making movements that have taken place in this last 30-so years. Some are much younger than that. Uh, Charles's movement there in, in uh, Kenya, which is a significant movement, which is only birthed in 2006, I think, it, something like that, and, and now 13 years later, that he started with one disciple who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples. And Joel said the other day there's something like, there was four million, I heard it a little while, Joel said six now. So, <laughs> I mean, those are crazy numbers, right? But, but that's the, the work of God in parts of Africa and Asia and South America. There's these significant movements that are beginning to take place or have been taking place and, because God is pouring out His Spirit. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And there is a significant move. And so pray for uh, the world. Pray for the Muslim people. We're in the midst of Ramadan right now. And so uh, be praying for them to be, have their hearts open and receptive to the good news of Jesus Christ. Last fall, uh, our world partner international leaders got together in Thailand and Shane D'Souza, uh, he was trained in disciple making a little back and uh, and he was reporting that he had taken 300 of his pastors there. He's a leader in India, or missionary church in India. And uh, so he was training some of his 300 pastors to how to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Sort of an idea of the way of Jesus. And uh, he says he shrank it down to 30. And at the end, there was only 30 of the pastors that really kind of wanted to do this in the end. And Shane was reporting back to those that were gathered that day. He says, now there's so many leaders in India spread across it, I don't know how many there are. Right? That's what happens when we, we multiply. I'm sharing this story because this is what I believe God's wanting to do. This is God's work in the world. And He is pouring out His Spirit in new ways, tremendous ways. We don't see much of that in North America. We don't see it much in the Western uh, world. But I believe that God wants to pour out His Spirit as well to believe Him. And should we not be a part of lining up with God and saying, okay, God, what do you want to do 
here. What you're doing there, can you do that here? And so we're continuing to learn about that. Anyway, so Jesus, when he was teaching, he often said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I just want to remind you this morning again that the King Jesus is here. King came and Jesus came and he established his here now, but not yet fully realized kingdom. And so King Jesus is here. We can look to him to minister to us today. Another thing that Jesus often said when he said to talk to people is, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And so in other words, he was saying, don't just hear with hear, but hear with hear. With your heart. And so I'd just like you just to bow your head and pray a simple prayer and invite God to speak to you today. Would you do that? Just If you feel comfortable, you can hold your hands in open posture in a receptive mode and just invite the Lord to speak. Just a simple prayer. Lord, speak to me today. Thank you for your Holy Scriptures through which you speak. And thank you for that small, still voice of your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear and courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, take your Bible to Acts chapter 8. We'll get there in a few moments. What I want to talk about today is how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that's certainly what we see in these disciple-making movements that it's not just the clergy that God is working through or elite professionals of any sense or sort, although he's using them, but just average ordinary people like you and I. And in the book of Acts, we really have this story of the disciples receiving what Jesus received in order to do what Jesus did. And the book of Acts kind of unpacks this disciple-making story that began, and 300-some years later, the, half the Roman Empire had converted to Christianity. So this was uh, the kind of the first disciple-making uh, movement that took place as God was working. So the church was starting to grow. Peter gets up at Pentecost, uh, in Acts chapter 2, after the pouring of the Holy Spirit. Conversions were taking place. Church was growing. Um, there was some, Acts chapter 6 talks about the Widows being neglected, so they were appointing some deacons, Stephen, Philip, five other guys, and they were to take care of distributing the food to the widows so that the apostles would be able to devote themselves to prayer and the teaching of the Scriptures, discipling those who were coming uh, to faith in Him. And so uh, Peter, or uh, Stephen, this uh, deacon, he's about his tasks, and next thing he begins preaching the gospel, and they didn't like it. And so they what did they do to him? Put him to death. And uh, then the story turns towards uh, Philip. And actually in Acts chapter 8 there, we realize that it was Saul of Tarsus, or who later became known as Apostle Paul. Uh, he was the one that was kind of behind this persecution as well there. Acts chapter 8 and verses 1. And in verse 4 there, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, and so as that persecution was taking upon the saints there that were living in Jerusalem or visiting in Jerusalem, people began to scatter. And I guess I think I would too, get out of town and get, escape with my life. And so Philip, one of the deacons, then he says, I'm getting out of here. I'm going down to the city of Samaria. And there he began to proclaim Christ. I could just imagine people coming up to him. Why are you moving into town? Well, it's too hot up there. It's too persecuting there why are they persecuting you well i believe in jesus well who's jesus and then no doubt he was telling them who he believed jesus to be is the christ the son of god the messiah the savior of the world 
Verse 6, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits were crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, so that there was much joy in the city. Much joy in the city. Let's look down, at the, just skipping down your text here. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, won't need to read through this all. Gary read it before. But the angel Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, and away he went. And there he finds a guy in a chariot. That was the mode of transportation in that time. And here he was, and happened to be, there was this Gentile in, had gone, was a worshiping, must have been a God-fearing Gentile, non-Jewish person. And he had somehow purchased, acquired uh, part of the book of Isaiah or all the book of Isaiah, which would mean in those days this would have been hand-copied. He was, he was really keen because he would have parted with a significant amount of money to actually purchase this. And here he was actually reading a significant text of Scripture. And so, interesting story that so we get discovering this. Because I want to talk about a few things here today that we need to renew our confidence in because kind of, you know, we wrestle with where is God? Is He alive? Is He reaching out? Is He doing what, what, what is He all doing and accomplishing? And I think sometimes we are losing faith in God, losing confidence in Him. And one of the things I think we need to renew our confidence in is that God is already at work in the world drawing people to Himself. God is already at work drawing people to Himself. Philip had joined God, so God said to Philip, go down to this spot. There he discovers this Ethiopian reading from the book of Isaiah, and he realized that no doubt God was already at work in this guy's life well before Philip showed up. And this is the way God works. God is the one who loves people, and God is the one who calls and draws. If you think about your own spiritual journey, at least I certainly do, there was a number of people and circumstances along my journey, my timeline of my life, that were God was using to bring me to faith in Him. And then there's been other ones along the pathway that moved me along. Because God was at work. The superintendent of my life transformation and change of the purpose and meaning of my life is actually God's. Amen? That's what it is. And so we are needing to line up with God instead of trying to get God to line up with us. Early in my pastoral years, I used to be spending lots of time in prayer and praying and asking God, you got to show up, God, on Sunday morning and, and uh, this person needs to be spoken to and use this and use that and, and re, you know convict that person and encourage that person and... And sometimes God did that. But as I matured along the journey, quite a bit later in the journey, I began to realize that it's not about me getting God to join me on, in what I am doing. Actually, it is me joining God in what He's doing. So here I'm over here saying, Oh God, come and help me. You know, do your work in your way and empower me. And God's over there saying, Claren! Claren! I'm not working over there this week. I'm working over here. I could use your help. And I'm over there praying for him to come over and join me. Right? You ever been there? 
We need to stop and realize who's, this, who's the king, who's the Lord, who's the sovereign one, who's in charge, who are we working for? It's God. We're working with God. Henry Blackaby wrote this book. He was a Southern Baptist who came to Western Canada many, many, many years ago. Uh, all the things he learned in that church planning movement that was launched, he wrote the book Experiencing God. In the workbook, any of you any ever read that? Any hands? few hands? Not too many. Encourage you to study it, read it, because that's exactly what he talks about there, is that God is at work and we get invited. Friends, we get invited to join God in what He's doing, and that's where we see action happen. That's where we see action happen, because we're joining up with what God is doing and where He is at work. Secondly, we need a renewed confidence that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to the right people, the people that are open and receptive to the gospel, the people who uh, need encouragement or whatever. He's going to lead us to them. In the way of Jesus' statements, the first one is, I've begun following Jesus and am dependent on the Spirit of Jesus in my journey. We get to listen, we get to trust, and then we get to obey. And the Spirit Listen to this. The Spirit said to Philip, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So here he gets down into that location. Okay, now, Lord, what do I do? And he hears the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life. Goes over the chariot, hears him reading, and then he asks him, do you know what you're reading? He says, how can I unless someone come and explains it to me and invites him up into the chariot? We need a renewed confidence that God is going to lead us to the right people. There's a supplementing movement that's got started now through Shadonkey Johnson, in, uh, a pastor there, got trained in disciple-making disciple, disciples, and uh, so that movement has been spreading significantly. And one of, the, one of those disciples of that movement was prompted by the Holy Spirit one day to, <clears throat> to bring the gospel to an island just off the coast of Sierra Leone. And uh, Muslim-dominated island, and so he says, okay, Lord, this is what I sense you're leading me to do. You're calling me to do that. So I'm going to get on a boat, get across, gets across over there, and he gets met by a Muslim man, of course, as he gets off the ship. And uh, he says, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I came to share Jesus with you, to share uh, with you Isa, as they would name him. And, uh, and so he says, oh, you know Isa? This Muslim says to the to the Christian, he says, you know Isa? And he says, yes, I do. He says, well, I've been reading about him in the Quran, and it speaks of him in a very favorable way. Would you come and explain Isa to me and my family? And he grins and says, sure, I'd be happy to do that. And so away he goes, and he spends some time discovering uh, what God has to say through the Scriptures and explains the, uh, about God to him. And then he says, discovers that this is actually a Muslim imam, which are cleric or cl- clergy, and this Muslim imam says to me, he says, you know, there's other imams on the island here that they too have been wondering about Isa, about Jesus. Would you mind meeting with all of us and teach us? And of course he says, what do you think he said? Sure, yes. And uh, long story short, a significant number of those Muslim imams came to faith in Jesus Christ. What happened was, can that missionary, so to speak, take any credit? No, he simply was obedient. And he followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And what did he find? There was actually some responsive and receptive people. God, it was already there. He was working. He was drawing. He was calling. 
And he takes them there and he gets to experience that journey with seeing them understand who Jesus is. Third point today, we need a renewed confidence that blessing people will help us find persons of peace. A posture of blessing. In the way of Jesus' statements, the next one we talk about there is I'm being sent by Jesus to bless others and invite them to follow Him. So sign up for the next uh, training session in the fall. If you haven't already taken that, those are great statements to memorize. I am being sent to be a blessing. To speak well of. To do good to. To bless is really the opposite of the curse, which brings death. So blessing brings life-giving things. That's, what he, that's the posture. What are the ways in which you can bring life and joy and good things to the lives of others? Jesus said, you know, when they're hungry, feed them. When they're in prison, visit them. Right? Those are all life-giving good things. Those are the things that Jesus has called and invites us to be giving ourselves to. And there's been significant emphasis on the missional movement. So the church, instead of being just internally focused, but actually externally focused and looking out at the lost and the least around us. But I've been learning from Shinaki Johnson in this disciple-making movement that's taking place there in Sierra Leone is some teachings that's in the Scriptures about persons of peace. And these are the people, as we are out and being a blessing, we are actually... Praying and discerning, Lord, where is this receptive person? That's what a person of peace is. They're a person that's receptive to God, receptive to you, and is usually a person of significant influence and impact in others. And so that's been a helpful piece for me to begin to discover and learn because we can give ourselves to a lot of different things and people, but we just want to really start to look for, and then once we find that person of peace, then that's where we begin to... invest more time and energy in relationship to build that relationship of trust and praying for that open door to bring the gospel to them. And so he found this person of peace. Really, this is what Philip did. He found this guy reading from the book of Isaiah. Like, how strange is that? Happened to be reading one of the most clear messianic portions there in the book of Isaiah. How timely is that? Right? As you and I journey through life, when we start to line up with God, we get goosebumps because we realize that God is leading us across this pathway to have this conversation right at this time. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, this is what happened for him and begins to happen with us as we journey along this way. Danny Mackay, he's a disciple maker. He got trained in disciple making a few years back and uh, lives in north of Winnipeg. And so one of Danny's disciples... As he was discipling, he began to have a burden for Sikhs. We often recognize Sikhs, you got males, and uh, because of their headdress. And so they'd often, Danny says, one of his disciples, he'd often want to pray for, let's pray for the Sikhs, that they would come to know Jesus, that they would know Jesus, because Jesus died for not only Muslims, he died for Sikhs, he died for Hindus, he died for crazy Canadians. Right? Right? And so they would be praying for the Sikhs, and one day they... His disciple was uh, in Winnipeg in the mall and uh, walks in the mall and he sees a Sikh security guard, feels the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go over and talk to him. And so he goes over and he strikes up a little conversation with this Sikh that's a security guard there and chats a little bit while for a little while and then he says to him, you know, if you had a 
needed a miracle in your life that God could fulfill, what would it be? Because I'm going through the mall and I'm praying for people. And so the Sikh actually looked at him. His eyes kind of got big. And he said, well, this, this God that you're going to pray to, would his name happen to be Jesus? And he smiles and says, yes. Why do you ask? He says, well, because seven nights ago, I had this very, very vivid dream. I was in a river, and I was drowning, and there was no way I could get out. I was going down for the last time, and all of a sudden this hand comes down, grabs a hold of me, pulls me out, sets me on the riverbank, and then this voice says, I am Jesus, you are safe with me. And the Sikh says, I have been praying since then that someone would come and tell me about this Jesus. So Jesus works in this disciple to give him a heart and a burden of passion and then prompts him that day to go and talk to him because God had prepared that heart to be open and responsive and receptive. Long story short, there's a small but growing Sikh community of believers there in Winnipeg. Fourthly, we need renewed confidence in the Scriptures to speak to people as they read and discover truth. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? He took the Scriptures then, and from that passage, no doubt maybe went into other passages of the Old Testament as well, and used that to proclaim the message that Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah, the Messiah, the King, the Ruler, the Savior of the world. It's very interesting today, we've got a really... In our Canadian context, we really have turned away from the authority of Scripture. It's really unfortunate because um, we believe that it's, it is God's Word. It speaks to us truth. It gives us ancient wisdom, so to speak, to how to properly live out our lives. And it declares to us who our Savior and our Messiah is. And I encourage you, if you haven't read the Bible from cover to cover, read portions of it to begin to understand it, that you would seek to do so because it's a powerful message. One of the tools that God is choosing to use throughout the world right now is in some of these disciple-making movements is a simple little tool called Discovery Bible Study, which is just a simple series of questions that people ask regarding the Scriptures. They're particularly useful in working with Muslims because they discover what does it say about God, what does it say about you, what God's saying to you, what are you going to do about it. And uh, so it's, it's not a Westerner coming in and telling them what to believe. It's actually them reading the Bible for themselves to discover for themselves. It really works well with Western teenagers as well because no one, teenagers don't want to be told what to do or believe. You guys still, you're not teenagers yet, you're not. You know, like that, but teenagers sometimes like that. So Discover Bible Study is a powerful tool, and, uh, and that is one thing that is being done. One of the things that happens here in the West is, is that we often aren't giving ourselves to obedience, because that's one of the things about Discover Bible Study is they, they actually put into practice what they hear God saying to them. Here in the West, we tend to we, we have a Bible study. And then when we're done that Bible study, we've learned all this knowledge. Because in the West, we have a very knowledge-based understanding of, of our faith. See, the more knowledge you have, 
And yet we don't really obey that much. It's not all about obedience. It's about, there's parts about knowing and having that relationship and knowing the right things. But actually, we need to put it into place. The other day I was with a few pastors. We were studying a passage of Scripture together and I asked them, what's the Lord saying to you? What are you going to do about it? And, uh, you know, what's one action step? And all of us, myself included even that day, came up with a very generic statement that was a little bit more informational based instead of a clear step of action. And that's actually hard to sometimes do. And uh, so here we are, seasoned people, but not even taking the Scriptures and looking at it, then how can I practically, in a tangible way, put that in action? There's a significant larger church, Southern Baptist Church in... Uh, in, uh, in, well, I can't remember the city. Tennessee, I think it is. And uh, they've been moving towards this discovery-based um, way of looking at Scripture. It's kind of called obedience-based as well. And they've got hundreds and hundreds of small groups. And since they've changed to this, they say that the pastors say now this is the first time in all these years of going through all kinds of Southern Baptist curriculum and studies that they're seeing actually life transformation and change and a multiplication of disciples that are reaching disciples who are making disciples. So there's a challenge for you and I to be obedient followers. We listen. I'm sure you've emphasized that a lot, Phil. We listen, trust, and trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to... Trust and obey, and obedience is sometimes challenging and hard and difficult. But that's where transformation and change, when he prompts you and says you need to go and talk to so-and-so and ask for their forgiveness, that changes things. It really does. Fifthly, we need to renew confidence in that God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. So here was this deacon. He was just a server of widows, and he's down there doing the work of an evangelist and a disciple-maker, and then... This uh, Ethiopian that he reaches with the gospel, the story goes, and early church history would say that he went on and uh, church planted in his home region as well. So God works through ordinary people because we serve an absolutely extraordinary God. Real quickly, just want to finish with this. In disciple-making movements, these are some simple principles that are taking place. Shadonki Johnson, where I picked this up from, out of that movement, there's, we could study this, and it's more complicated than these, just these simple five, but this is helpful. They begin, really, disciple-making movements. If you're going to see God at work in a significant way, we need to learn how to pray. And then they got this fast word, which I think it's a bad four-letter word, as far as I'm concerned, because I like to eat. But um, fasting helps us to really align ourselves with God. So praying and so intercession, but they would say as well, it's not just about intercession, praying for loss, because there is this mystical union between us praying by name for people, uh, people group or a particular person, that seems to, to bring the movement of God by His Spirit to start tugging and drawing on persons. There, I mean, there's enough evidence there that that is significant. But it's more than just praying and asking God to do a work there, but it's actually praying in such a way that we begin to ask God to lead us 
And we are beginning to align ourselves with where God is working, where God is doing. And so we've got and tuned our ears to be led and guided and prompted by God. Then we move towards serving with purpose, or we would say, for all of the way of Jesus' statements, that we're sent by Jesus to bless others. And so we just simply are out there with a posture of serving, a posture of blessing. And in the midst of that, we are particularly looking for those persons of peace, or person of peace, or household of peace. And then from there, we build that relationship and they trust, and that's where we move towards Discovery Bible Study, Ethnos Ministries, or the New Tribers, uh, had a Christ, no, Creation to Christ studies. As they went out into tribal people, people who never knew anything about the gospel, never knew anything about Jesus, they would do a chronological study through which to help those people who knew nothing to actually come to understanding about who Jesus is. And we certainly are living in a day and age when lots of young people Lots of people, even in living in Canada now, do not have a Bible basis, don't know any really of the stories or much of the stories. And so we need a creation to Christ kind of study. And Discovery Bible Study is the tool to use to help discover selected scriptures to bring out that story so that people can intelligently either accept or reject Christ. And so that's a little bit of a shift we've got to make. It's, I don't know how we're all going to do that, how that's going to work here. We don't have a high value of holy books or, or ancient history or, or white wisdom from the past as Canadians anymore. We're postmodern, post-Christian. We haven't figured that all out yet. But there are traces now of God beginning to work in Canada amongst the younger people because there's an increased hunger because there's really no answers in secular humanism. And so there is an openness there. Anyways, and so as they discover the Bible together, they come to faith, and then they just teach them to, to multiply that out. How to, how those that come to faith in Christ, they teach them how to fast and pray, how to serve in purpose, how to look for persons of peace, and how to every Bible study. And, uh, and the gospel spreads and spreads and spreads and spreads. We are doing church a traditional way. I want to say this carefully. This is a church where people leave other churches to come to because it's, it's a good place. But there's lots of little churches around that people have left that aren't doing so well. And if we continue to do what we are doing now, for the next 10 years, what will the church be like in Canada? We need to be open to new wineskins, to approaching things. We talk about in the way of Jesus is simply going and do things the way Jesus did. And that's not just studying the teachings of Jesus, the red letters, but also reading the black letters of how Jesus made disciples and multiplied them out. And these, some of these disciple makers that are doing things in different places uh, of significance, they simply went back to the life and teachings of Jesus and did what Jesus did. And they went to the book of Acts and saw what the apostles, early apostles who were simply trying to do what Jesus told them to do. And significant things have taken place. Will you as a congregation, as you look at the next 41 years or so, whatever Jesus is going to give you, are you going to be satisfied with doing what you've done that's got you here? We live in a very different time, a very different era, and, and our culture is very, very different. And so we have to look at not changing the gospel. God forbid. We actually need to believe in the gospel more fully. 
Not turn away from scriptures. Absolutely, we need to live like scriptures out so fully that they look at us and say, man, they are people who live out a transformed, changed life with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because their world is looking for people who actually have something inside of them that is full of peace and joy and amazing love. Amen? And so that, it, they're, they're looking for that, and it's, not, <laughs> it's only by allowing Jesus Christ to work in through us. And so as Pastor Phil and your pastors lead, and the elders lead, and envision about a preferred future that God has for you, may it be open to something rather different. Now just as we wind up the service, I'd like to do this now. Um, I asked you earlier if you would be praying and, and asking God to speak to you. And so I'm just going to give you a moment just to bow your head and say, Lord, what are you saying to me this morning through this message, through those Scripture passages? Or what have you been saying to me in the last little while in my own devotional life or my spiritual life? I'm going to give you a chance to think about that. And then I want you to think about what does God ask God then? What does he want you to do about that? And then put it in a statement, something like this. By the grace of God, I believe God wants me to do this. By the grace of God, I will. And then just a short little statement. And then I will ask those who have some courage just to stand and Speak out that one simple sentence. By the grace of God, I believe God wants. Not, it's not going to be everybody or nobody will want, not everyone will want to do that, but I hope there'll be a few that will just speak that out. Okay? Let's just pray. Say, speak, Lord. What do you want? What did you say to me? What have you been saying to me? Just listen to his voice. What do you want me to do about that, Lord? And then by the grace of God, I will. Usually it doesn't take God long to speak. I think what I've been hearing him say to me, by the grace of God, I will devote more time on a weekly basis to pray for people that do not know Christ. Anyone else want to share? By the grace of God, I will... Yep. Speak it out nice and loud so people can hear. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. By the grace of God, I will... Don't have to say as much as he did, just even one sentence. By the grace of God, I will... Amen. So she says that she's going to be more bold. By the grace of God. By the grace of God, I will. Who else? 
I know this is strange. This is doing things different. But don't you expect God to speak? Or do we just come, have some great music, listen to this guy talk at the front, and go home and do nothing? I'm getting a little provoked. Sorry about that. Not scolding you. Right? No, because that's not what we're about. I know it's not. You're a keen, passionate group, right? So I'm just doing something a little different, right? So today I'm sorry for putting you on your, you know, uh, stretching you a little bit maybe by doing this weird thing. But I'm trying to make a point because every Sunday morning as we gather, every time we open the Scriptures, there should be, Lord, what are you saying to me? How can I line up my life with you more fully? Amen? Anyone else want to say a quick word before we... I know you're looking for the potluck lunch. I know. Anyone else? Yep. Amen. Anyone else? I want to give you a chance, because this is important, because sometimes by stepping up and saying this, this gives us courage to follow through. Anyone else? Amen. Yeah. Anything else? Yep. Michelle? Oh, hallelujah. So th- think that would be God at work, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Woo. All right. I think worship is going to come up here. Father, we just thank you so much for this congregation. It's just so much fun to be here and worship you, Jesus. Thank you for um, the great things you have done, are doing, and our continued desire to do. Bless those, each and every one of us. I know many more of us heard your voice this morning. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be courageous, to be obedient for your kingdom and glory. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.